0: Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Arts for the Health of It. My name is Richard Wilmore. I'm your host. And if you're watching this, I apologize for my extra large head on screen. It's just me right now. If you're listening, you'll notice that it's a little bit quieter. If you're watching, you'll notice I'm the only one on screen. Stanzi is not here today. She's taking a little bit of a break. So uh, we have some fun things planned throughout the summer while she's gone. Um, But Hopefully, you're not tuning in just for her because she isn't here. Please don't turn it off because she won't be here for a little while. But we miss her and we love her, and you'll see her soon. But we have great people here, not to take her place, but to distract from the fact that she's not here. And today we have Tasha Golden. And Tasha is, I talked to her a few months ago to prep for this. I'm so excited to have her um, on the program to talk about all of the great research she's doing. She's an artist, she's a health scientist, an international speaker, and a consultant. She makes the science of arts and health relevant and usable for anyone seeking to improve well-being, creativity, knowledge, and connection. And that, of course, sounds 100% about what we're here to do and talk about. So why listen to me when you listen to Tasha? So let's start the show.
1: And I know you'll see that a song changes everything.
0: Hi, Tasha. Hello.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you so much for being here. Um, Where I was thinking about this yesterday of what we were going to talk about. And I love the fact that we get to talk to people from all over the world here on this podcast. So tell everybody uh, where you're actually. Where you are right now in the world?
2: Where am I in time and space? I am yes. in Louisville. I am in Louisville, Kentucky.
0: And you? What time is it there?
2: It is uh, ten thirty-eight.
0: Okay. All right. So how's the future? It's nine thirty here. The <laughs> um, is it looking uh, good
2: today. I am trying to believe that the future is not bleak. Um, I am probably with a lot of other people. It's it's difficult the last few days, but I think that's why we do what we're doing here today, and why we try to support one another and talk about the things that that matter to us and that can reshape the world, right?
0: Yes. I mean, arts have always been super important to you in your life. Can you talk a little bit about how you got into the work and what, like what triggered you into getting into what you do?
2: Um, well, okay. So I grew up in a uh, conservative evangelical home. My dad was a pastor. And uh, the reason that this is the root of my story is that eventually I became a singer-songwriter. I toured the world, and um, that was the thing that I wanted to do ever since I was a little girl. But the place where I started writing songs was in church because where I grew up, women couldn't preach and we couldn't teach, like, mixed-gender audiences, but we could definitely sing. And there was sort of, like, an honored space for music in, like, church services on the weekends. So um, starting from a really young age when I felt like I had something to say to, like, people in my life or around me or in society, I wrote songs. And then because I had an in because my dad is the pastor, you know, um, I often typically if I wanted to sing, I got to sing. So that became the way that I music was my way to speak what was going on in my life and actually be heard. And that continued. um, When I became a professional musician, music continued to be a place where I could share things that were going on in my life that I couldn't share. Otherwise, there are situations and histories and memories and events that I didn't tell anyone before I shared it with a room full of listeners at a show from a stage. And music has always sort of represented that space where um, something that might be too big or too controversial or too scary or too intimate or whatever the case may be um, for me to share in conversation or in typical exchanges like what we're having right now. Um, music was the place where I could do that. So, As a singer-songwriter, I had songs about things like domestic violence, my family's history of that, um, songs about my own history of depression or mental illness. And no matter where I went in the world, like whether it's like Chicago or Beijing, those were the songs that people lined up after shows wanting to talk about. So over the years, you wind up having hundreds of people who shared really personal stories with you based on the songs that they've just heard you sing. And a lot of those people, in, in my case, followed up their stories, um, for example, like maybe a story of abuse in their history, by saying that I'm the first person they had ever told. And um, for me, I understood that that meant, oh, this person has never told a doctor, never told a therapist, not even a spouse or partner. And I knew that for me, the supports around me in my life. Being able to just share and convey what was happening in my life had been so important. And that had been out of reach for these folks up until they were in a music venue, up until they heard a song, up until they, you know, were in some low lit place after a show someplace um, and were able to share what was on their mind. So I became really interested in why that was happening. Why was a music venue or a song, a place where, where I and other people could finally say something that we couldn't say otherwise? And how did that affect our health? And um, I ran into some of the same questions when I founded a program, like a creative writing program for girls that are incarcerated called Project Uncaged. And the same thing, those girls shared really different things in their poems and their songs than they ever shared in just conversation or like on the questionnaires that we gave them. So again, that question of like, What do we not know from people when we don't give them these other kinds of spaces? And what is it about art and creative writing and song and music that helps people um, share what's going on in their lives? And what does that mean for how how we live this human experience and how we share it with each other? And that is why I wound up in public health, to try to research what was going on with that phenomenon and how does it affect not only our individual health, but our collective well-being.
0: And what are you finding i think that's always especially with music i mean most people listen to music we've had one guest on this program who's who was a singer and her father hated music hated oh. it. um but he loved to listen to birds that was mm. his thing and i was like well that's music so give him that and just we'll pretend that it's not music that he's listening to but most <laughs> people listen to music and i think we all have like you know that favorite song that feels like I don't know what just happened. Apparently my mic muted itself. Oh, um, no. Sorry. Um, where you all, you had that song that you think was written for you. And then you go to their concert or, mm-hmm. you know, 40,000 other people singing that mm-hmm. same song. And you're like, well, that was my song. What happened? So I think that's very interesting. How we, how we attach ourselves to music, but what are you finding that? Why we, why, we, why do we do that?
2: Um, well, there isn't any single answer. There are a lot of different um, s- studies, people trying to figure out like actual neurobiological mechanisms for different things. But the larger way that I think about it and that I find helpful to talk about, especially in everyday life and in situations that are related to health and well-being, is that um, we we did not evolve to be able to share all of our lives in a, in conversation. That's not possible. It's yeah. not the ideal, it's not optimal. I think a lot of times in our society, especially like Western, maybe like white dominant norms in our society, we think that the ideal, like whatever you're going through, you're supposed to be able to just chat about it. And if you can't chat about it, something's wrong with you. It's not a limitation of talking. We don't think of that as being the limitation. We think that something's wrong with you because you can't find the strength or the courage or the words or whatever to muster and be able to share something. Um, whether it's with a friend or a spouse or even a therapist or something like that. I think one of the reasons that art exists is that the human experience is far larger than conversation and language like this. And that's why we evolved to make and share art. It can allow us to express something much larger about the human experience. Sometimes I think of it as like, um, if you think of the human experience as being this like vast mountainous landscape And there's maybe like a tiny shack on the hillside on that landscape. And that tiny shack is like conversation and texts and tweets. And we try to squeeze all of the human experience into that tiny shack on the hillside. And it can't accommodate it. You know, the human experience is vast and it's always been vast. That's the only kind of human experience that exists is the kind that's kind of too much. (laughs) And I think part of what music and all kinds of different art does is acknowledge that things are bigger than, than something pretty and containable and manageable. And so when we need to, we access those. And when we find something that's like a song, like what you mentioned, that represents some aspect of our experience that we haven't been able to articulate otherwise, I think we hold on to it because it's sort of like, hey, this um, this acknowledgement that my experience is real and it exists and it's true and it's shared, but also an acknowledgement that it's, um, it's, it's larger than I was able to just say to a friend or write out in a paragraph
0: yeah were you I mean you were using music as a way to express yourself were you surprised then at the reaction from people at concerts that you were that you were receiving that that suddenly they were telling you their stories like how did you deal with all of a sudden being their therapist kind of Uh,
2: well a lot of what I do now is um, offer, I spend a lot of time now offering trainings to artists and arts educators, arts facilitators in trauma-informed practice. Mm. And a lot of what I'm doing and when I'm doing that is offering what I wish I would have had. Mm. Uh, I think people kind of don't realize, maybe people who are not artists, artists know this <laughs> Hands down, like anybody that I've ever talked to who's an artist knows this really intuitively. I think other people don't recognize how much people share with us as artists as a result of like what we kind of seem to make communicatable, talkable through the art. And so um, definitely you don't want to put yourself in a position of therapist. I think I was sometimes surprised by what people chose to share with me. I think I was more surprised when I was the first person they had ever shared it with and i th- i don't think i was surprised that it happened i think i was I-, I was more um in wonderment about how and why how and why it happened and um i think i was also alarmed by how much is going on in people's lives that they don't have a way to get out or express and i wondered if part of their inability to get that out and express it is that they thought they had to do it in some, you know, they thought they had three options or something. I have to, Mm -hmm. I would have, if I'm going to share this, I have to share it in way A, B, or C. And since I can't do that, I guess here I am. And maybe they show up at a concert, whether it's mine or somebody else's, I think this happens for humans. Like they show up at a concert and they find a D (laughs) and they're like, oh, I didn't even know that was an option for me. Okay. I'm going to take it.
0: Yeah, and I think, I mean, we've had people on this podcast who don't even know that they're in the arts and health world, what they're doing.
2: Oh, and then yeah. they're like,
0: oh, yeah, there is that correlation. Um, or this is what I'm doing. I just thought I was doing it to, you know, for whatever reason. Um, so I love that, like, you're giving people that space to, to they don't have to create the art themselves to, like, express it, that you're just giving them the creative space. Because it's it's not always about going out painting, writing music. It's also about taking it in and what that does for your soul.
2: Yeah. And, you know, I people hesitate to want to create things or maybe the last time they created something was when they were a child. And so it can, I understand that for a lot of people, it can sometimes even feel infantilizing for somebody to tell them like, hey, why don't you go draw a picture or yeah. um or take a painting class, it can seem like you're trivializing what they're going through. And so I think it's it but like you said earlier, everybody's got a song that they love. Every you know people are drawn to things like film or TV shows that do represent their lives. And I think that's a way in or for people or a way through um, not to say that I think the goal is for people to create their own art. I think people are creative and they create things in whatever way that they need to. I'm not out here trying to make sure everybody um, becomes an artist or makes art, but I think the availability of art to either find it or create it or both. Um, I think we evolved to, to, um, to need that and to be driven to share it and, I think there's also a lot more creativity than we typically acknowledge in just the process of hearing something, listening to it, sharing mm-hmm. it. I mean, people are so creative in their interpretations, for example, of a film, what they thought that it meant to them, <laughs> or um you know the ways that people will put together a playlist to send to one to, no- to send to one another. they might not think of that as being an art, but there even the things that we as human do with the art that we do encounter and the ways that we make meaning with and from it that also is creative. And that also is part of how we process and navigate and move through things.
0: And I think, especially as adults, we think that stuff like concerts and make making the art is supposed to be for the people who are really good at it and the professionals. And I can't (laughs) be an artist because, you know, I don't have my paintings aren't framed in a gallery somewhere or I'm not recording an album. So I'm not, I'm not professional. So I'm not an artist. And I think oh. that that's kind of dangerous to do to yourself,
2: yeah, and I you know you can choose the label or the name or term artist if you want, and you can issue it if you want that's um that doesn't have to be here or there, so if it makes people feel better to say like I'm not an artist, even though they're constantly making art every day, that's fine, you know, like yeah. whatever you need to do <laughs> yes. but i but I also think you know sometimes um especially in my world there's there can be this kind of sense that uh, that an artist, quote unquote, is some kind of special class of people and they can become like this this idea that those people are um, special or other or different. And I think people do that in order to honor the artist. But I think a lot of times the opposite happens because the more, quote unquote, special or um, othered, you make a, a, a sort of like set of behaviors or actions, which is ultimately what artistry is. Uh, the the easier it becomes to dismiss it, and that can mean, mean that you dismiss it as in like um, we don't need it, or like like we don't need art in schools or something like that. But it can also <clears throat> become and I just want to clarify I'm I think we need art in schools. I'm saying that other people <laughs> dismiss the arts because they've made it other and quote unquote special, and therefore it's not actually a part of everyday life, and so that we don't need it. But then I also think that it can become like you're saying this thing where like, well, that's for certain types of people do that. I'm not that type of people. Therefore, I don't do that or I don't I don't identify with that. And um, as somebody who is always identified as an artist and made my living as an artist, I I uh, feel very uncomfortable when people talk about artists as some kind of like um, special (laughs) group of people who can do special things and see things in a special way. Um, I don't think that's consistently true and of course artists have done really wonderful things in the history of the world and artists have also been propagandists for really evil and terrible things in the history of the world so i think it's much um it makes much more sense for my, me and my sensibility to just think about humans doing the things that we have been made to to do basically and mm. we kind of figured out that we need art that we make it that we appreciate um singing and making sounds with our voices we appreciate seeing color or lines on pages or canvases and we do things with the world around us and that's just something that we do and we cut that off from ourselves or excise it from the human experience uh, to our detriment because we apparently need it that's or we wouldn't be doing it after these millions of years
0: (laughs) what was the last creative thing you did for yourself not necessarily like for work but something that you did for yourself
2: I um, unexpectedly, several days ago, wrote a song. My partner was um, playing a, a kind of chord progression. It was late at night. I was getting to bed and um, I heard the chord progression and without wanting or needing to, I ju- it just, a melody popped into my head to go with that chord progression, progression. And I just took out my journal and wrote out the whole the whole song, wow. which wound up being about kind of like this um social media snafu that I was seeing, like, you know, arguments falling apart, people trying to reach each other across difference, and it just becomes a little bit of a dumpster fire. And the song doesn't reflect all of that, but that's kind of what motivated it. And it felt really good to get it out. And the next day I had to sit down and be like, how does this sound on the voice you know how does it feel to sing it and it felt great to sing it
0: Did you do you do you record i don't even know if this is a dumb question or not but like do you record every song that you write or is it sometimes just like you need to get get it out like poetry almost
2: uh it's a it's a mix it's often at first, it's just something that I want to get out. But from the time I was little, and this is not true, obviously, for every artist, I have always seen music foremost for me as communication. Mm. I think for a lot of the music musicians around me, maybe they would say that music is foremost for them expression. And um, the the nuance, like the, the lines between these two are incredibly blurry for all of us, and it can change day to day or hour to hour. But um, almost always, when I'm writing something, I'm thinking about what that might mean for somebody um, to share it. What might that mean? How does that help me feel like I'm connected with my fellow humans? And so um, I'm always recording stuff because I want to be able to come back to it later Mm. and maybe share it with somebody.
0: How does that feel as as the person who's taking the time to write, go out and perform? How does that feel then to have that sort of feedback from the people that are coming to see you or listen to you?
2: Mm. For me, that has always been... Uh, really rewarding and important. And I think it, that's because, like I said, my, my primary motivation for uh, making art has always been to communicate. And I'm neurodivergent and I'm an introvert. And I think probably I always wanted to connect with my fellow humans and felt um, like I was inadequate at that in the sort of like, quote unquote, normal ways. And so I think from the time I was a very little girl, I was trying to find like, what is the way that I can communicate that people will hear me and they'll appreciate it and they'll listen and then they can we can have a conversation about what they just heard. So when that happens, it's one of the most rewarding things in my life. Like I I remember telling you know people when I was very young that like the the best thing that could happen when I shared a song was for somebody to say something like, "Oh, I felt that same way before and have never been able to articulate it." Mm-hmm. And you you did that for me. And mm-hmm. that's um hearing that is probably yeah, one of the most rewarding things that I've been able to experience
0: how would you describe uh, this is sort of going to be I guess maybe a two part question how would you describe your music and what type of music do you love to listen to
2: well um I don't know how I would describe my music but other people have described it as something like um romantic lush pop uh it's a little bit like folk pop Mm. so um that is our music. It's been, you know, like played on folk radio, but also played on other like pop stations or retail stores and airplanes apparently, um, or airports, I mean. And, uh, what was your second, what was the second part of your question? Uh, Like who
0: you listen to or the type of music that you love to listen to? What do you connect with?
2: Oh, it is always changing. And for the last few years, actually, I've found it difficult to sit and listen to music because it's almost, um, I found myself almost overwhelmed by it. It's a little too much, but I will say um, just to give a shout out to her, I think the album that I've been coming back to over and over again, the last few years has been an album by a singer songwriter named Kim Taylor. Um, I think it's called, Oh man, this is terrible of me. It was called lessons, something like that, but it's just a very um, Americana kind of album about like basically life being challenging but some some of what I love about it is the um the way that the the drums sound just nice and deep and stark sort of like an Alison Krauss record or something like that and then um and the gentle plucking of the guitar strings and there's something very soothing about it I think because the songs sort of like acknowledge that life is challenging and you just want to sit in that acknowledgement sometimes so Mm. um that's been a reliable go-to for me during a time the last few years when I felt like uh, sometimes listening to music is too much emotionally. That one's been a good one.
0: I'm going to write that down and download that as soon as this (laughs) is over. Um, We're going to take a quick break. And come back with Tasha and I want to talk about the articles that you just had published, which is, I'm so excited and very proud of you and you should be too. I'm sure it was (laughs) a ton of work. And then also, uh, I want to know what people can start doing today if you have tips for people to start integrating the arts into their lives, something easy for them today. So we'll take a break and be right back with Tasha Golden after this. Whether you consider yourself a musician or not, music is all around us and it affects our everyday lives. Whether it's background music influencing our shopping habits in a store, organ music adding the vibe to a baseball game, Or a playlist convincing us to keep going on that last mile of a run. I'm Mindy Peterson, host of the podcast Enhanced Life with Music, where we take a holistic look at the power of music in our everyday lives through the lens of science and health, sports and entertainment, business and education.
1: You can find me and Enhanced Life with Music at mpetersonmusic.com slash podcast or wherever you get your audio. Unleash the power of music. Medical professionals are burning out at an alarming rate. Burnout can cause health workers to feel hopeless, trapped, helpless, worthless, depressed, sleepless, and tired. By joining the Heart's Need Art Gratitude Grams program, medical staff receive a personalized email and video from a musician, an artist, or writer once a week that includes a message of thanks, an encouraging song, uplifting poem, or a simple art activity. After watching their gratitude gram, participants report feeling more hopeful, empowered, energized, and appreciated. If you are or know a healthcare worker that would like to receive free gratitude grams, please visit heartsneedart.org.
0: Kim Taylor's Songs of Instruction. We're back. That's not who we're talking to, but maybe we'll surprise her next week. Uh, But we are here with (laughs) with Tasha Golden. That is who she was talking about, who she's listening to. Um, Now, tell us about the articles that, uh, I want to know how long these take to write, like what this process was and uh, why, (laughs) why you did it. And like what I hear a lot about, you know, like, oh, that's a white paper. That's an article that was released. But what are those for people listening, me included? Like, what are those used for? and um I, I want to hear your process behind it
2: oh well they're they're also different like in the in the um like academia or the scholarly world like you know some people can turn out articles every few weeks or some people um some studies can take several years, so it just depends on what you're studying. the um articles that we just that that I just published um took a really long time in part because just the peer review process with the journal was delayed. Because of the pandemic and stuff like that. But the study itself was also a, a little bit of a, a long time running. But what it was is, um, at the time, I worked here in Louisville, Kentucky, with something called the Youth Violence Prevention Research Center, which is a CDC funded Um, organization designed to, like it sounds, try to do research that would help prevent youth violence. But we noticed that we knew a lot about how um, boys and young men were experiencing and perceiving violence. We knew much less about uh, girls and gender nonconforming youth. So um, I wanted to do a study that would focus on them, but I also knew from my work with Project Uncaged and with uh, Girls in the Juvenile Justice System, like I mentioned earlier, that there's a lot that you can learn especially about stigmatized or sensitive issues such as violence if you open up the the ways by which they can um, respond to questions. So our city had had um, many different surveys that had gone on about violence exposure to the public school district, to the University of Louisville, to lots of different things. So I got some of those that had been administered over the last few years and just disaggregated them by gender. So we could look specifically at, at girls and young women in those surveys. But then um, I also established a few creative writing processes. One was a um, project on CAGE, this creative writing program for girls that are justice involved. One was a citywide uh, poetry contest that we did with an international literary publisher called Sarah Band Books that's here in Louisville, Kentucky. And then another one was um, the script of a play that we got from uh, survivors of violence at the University of Louisville who had written this play about their experiences and performed it for two sold out shows got the script of that and basically analyzed all of that creative writing as qualitative data and was we were able to combine the um survey data with all of that creative writing data and so obviously that took some time to do but the findings are really fascinating so the two articles are actually um, two parts of the same study the first article tells you what we learned about violence by combining these surveys with the creative writing, what we learned from girls and young women. And in the second article tells you what I found when I compared those surveys to each other. So how did the surveys perform, quote unquote, as research methods for trying to learn about violence of this population? And how did the creative writing methods perform? And how did those compare to each other? So um, there's a lot to talk about there, but a lot of it is driven by this history and this question that I've had for my whole life about how and why the arts help us communicate about things that are otherwise difficult to share or open open up about. And I know you sent um,
0: the links to us, so we'll put those in the notes and in the comments um, if you want. Are those on your website as well?
2: They are, yeah. Yeah.
0: And and how, what is the best way that people can connect with you and reach out to you?
2: Uh, My website is just tashagolden.com, And there's a lot of information there about my articles and publications, both um, academic articles and other things as well. And then you can learn about um, other things that I do, workshops or trainings or talks that I give, uh, if that could be useful to you. Yeah, and
0: I love, I think it's, is it one of your workshops that's titled How We Human?
2: Uh, I have had workshops titled that, but it's not titled that on my website. But yeah, just trying to help people use the arts to um, embrace what it is to be human.
0: Yeah, I love that I can't take the, the credit for titling this episode, How We Human. Tasha totally did it, but I loved that title. I feel like that should be the title of the podcast because it's so important. Like that's the arts mm. are, should be so integrated into how we are people.
2: Mm. And
0: uh, I love that you're doing to make that people don't have a Do you have any tips?
2: I'm so sorry. You cut out just a little bit when you're asking your question. Sorry. I was uh, wondering if you had
0: any tips or something that people could start today to start their creative practice.
2: Yeah. I mean, a big part of what I um, typically talk about, and especially as it relates to the title of this podcast episode, how we human is um, a first step is to recognize that the human experience isn't supposed to be small and contained just because that's what's expected of us in, um, quote unquote, polite society or in boardrooms um, or in other kind of public spaces, you're, you're kind of expected to perform like a robot. I call it the three robot settings. Like it's OK to be slightly frustrated or sad or neutral or slightly happy mm-hmm. if you're anything beyond those three things in either direction, like people feel like you're um, you're weird or out of place or unprofessional or something like that. But those, those are arbitrary settings that are just socially constructed. It's not like that's actually how we human, the human experience is really, really large. And especially the last um, the last couple months for a million reasons have been so difficult for our society for there's so much going on here in America. And I think one of the things, one of the ways that we make, we add suffering to the suffering that we're all legitimately and um justly experiencing is that we think we're not supposed to be feeling it or we think we should be able to contain it and just keep hustling and keep doing whatever we're doing every day. So my suggestion is usually to first of all no <laughs> No, you're not supposed to be able to squeeze your experience into um, those three robot settings or, like I said earlier, the tiny shack on the side of the mountain. You're su- the, the human experience is supposed to feel like a lot. And so whatever you need to do to be able to express that or share it, do it. And it doesn't have to mean, like, go color a picture or go get a um, guitar out and write a song it it just means don't expect yourself to be able to reduce your experience to a, a text or a tweet or to a conversation with somebody else expect that you may need some other way to communicate or share or process your experience and that might be a certain film that you watch with somebody else and you say hey that's how how I'm feeling it might mean you put together a list of a few songs um that just that you can just sit with or maybe you send them to somebody else it might Um, It might mean that you draw a picture, it might mean that you take some time watching somebody else paint or draw something online, whatever it is, but the main point is not you need to make art or that art is some kind of panacea or silver bullet. The main point is that art is how we, is part of how we human, and whatever it is that helps you to acknowledge that and accompany it, find it, do it, use it, um, regardless of how it's labeled or what you think it you know, is it creative? Is it art? Doesn't matter. Find what you need.
0: And I think you said it a couple of times that I always try to tell people is that it doesn't have to be shown to everyone. It can be just for you. And it doesn't have to don't go in it thinking I have to draw this or do whatever to show people. It doesn't have to be about that. It can, you can crumble it up and throw it away and be done with it or keep it in your own notebook. Um, It's just that how important it is to do it in any way that you're, that you're doing it um Tasha I want to be you when I grow up <laughs> I think you're amazing and I want you here thank all the you. time even though I know you can't be but um t- go to TashaGolden.com learn more about her connect with her download her music you're amazing thank you so much for being here today
2: thank you so much for having me it's um it's really it's lovely to see what you all are doing with this podcast and how you're connecting with people and I'm glad to be a part of it thank you
0: Thank you. Uh, If you're watching or listening, make sure you subscribe wherever you're doing that and come back next week for more episodes. We'll see you later, everyone.
1: Bye. Bye. facing life altering health challenges. Join us next week to learn more ways you can create art for the health of it. The views expressed on this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of Heartline Art, their staff, board members or other affiliates. All content is created for informational purposes only. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice or to diagnose and treat any health condition.